Well, good morning everyone and welcome to this morning's sermon. You might notice that I'm, I'm not in the church building today. We're down in Preston Pans where Ron and I and the kids live. So just to orientate you, you may, if it's not too bright, you might make out the Pentland Hills and Arthur's Seat in the background. Then we have the, the fourth crossings just, just over to the far side. Then we have all the way down the Fife Coast all the way down to this site down here, which was the old Kenza power station. Now, the area in front of us here, believe it or not, are the green hills, and this is where historians argue may have been the site of the Battle of Preston Pans back in 1745. So the Battle of Preston Pans was part of the Jacobite uprising, and part of the, the first wars of Scottish independence. And this was led by Bonnie Prince Charlie on this occasion. Um, but why am I t- telling you about that? Well, only to draw the comparison and the distinction between the battle in 1745 and the current debate surrounding Scottish independence. I'm not here to talk about the rights and wrongs of that political debate, only to question whether the people that fought in this field and died in that field, whether they were debating about the economic benefits of the battle or which currency we should use or whether we should join the EU. And likewise, if you were to ask the main protagonists of the modern debate whether they'd like to come down the Preston Pans and fight to the death, I'm not sure that they will. And that kind of leads us into today's topic, which is about empathise with young people today. Because, you see, we have this tendency to think that things are the same and that they don't change, because especially when the titles and the words we use are similar. But actually... The motivations and values and drivers from generation to generation change quite significantly. And this is what the evidence and the research has shown from the Fuller Youth Institute, who are the people that we're journeying through growing young with. So this morning we're going to talk about what that what the difference between our generations are, why it's an issue, and then we're going to look at three fundamental questions that people need to ask themselves in order to empathise, and that is, who am I, where do I belong, and what is my purpose? And then, lastly, we're going to look at three really simple practical techniques that we're learning about on the course that we can implement to help close the gap between these generations. So we should probably start by defining what we mean by empathy in a kind of biblical context, because it differs from sympathy. Um, as it happens, the TJS are doing Job at the moment, and... Uh, I suppose there's a danger that you become like Job's friends, where they did sympathise, and they did a lot of the right things. They came to, to mourn with Job, spent a week with them, um, but at a distance, this, you, you sympathise at a distance, and then what Job's friends started to do was to actually accuse him, tell him what he'd done wrong, and incorrectly as it happens. But in, by empathy, we mean more, as it says in, in Romans chapter 12 verse 15 where it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep so empathy is about being alongside and actually feeling experiencing the situation with the person as opposed to feeling sorry for them and trying to fix them so in some ways you already know how to do that anybody who's connected to a young person whether your grandparent uncle auntie just friend of the family you'll have done this with a young person where it's coming up to their birthday and you're not quite sure what to get them. You want to get them something that means something to them, something that's important. And so you make that call to their parents, don't you? Or maybe you ask the child, 
you know, what are you into nowadays? Are you still into Peppa Pig? Or have you moved on, have you outgrown that? Because you want to, you want to do something that's important to them, not something that's important to you. So, and, that, and that's the type of empathy. So, why is it difficult to, or harder to identify with young people today? How is it harder to empathise with them? Part of the problem, we think, is due to a thing called extended adolescence. So, what that means is that, although kids are experienced a lot more at a younger age than any previous generation were, so they have a lot of adult decisions to make, <clears throat> they're very aware, even pre-teens, that success at school academically is important for them, it's going to set them up for life. Um, they have to make decisions about universities or colleges or getting jobs. It's not as straightforward as it might have been for previous generations where you know, they would leave school. Some people would left school at 15. And, you know, they would join the family firm or get a job with their uncle or whatever it was they did. <clears throat> and at a very young age, they would know what their career was, they would know what their job was. And that allowed them to move on to other life events at a much younger age. It meant that they were financially independent earlier. It was much easier to get in the housing market back then. So people would love to move out of their parents' house. They would meet someday, they would get married, have a child, all by their mid-twenties. This isn't happening for this generation for at least five to ten years, I think, on average, later in life. So that leads people to think that they're somehow immature. But actually, as we just said, they're actually experiencing and travelling and using technology and dealing with really meaty things at a much younger age. And so this is what they call the extended adolescence, because it starts early, but it finishes later. And so sometimes it's harder for older generations to identify with that, because they think, well, why haven't you just grown up, got a job? They, they don't think about, well, should I have a gap here? You should I do a charity thing? You know, what do I want to be? There's so many different jobs and careers that you could do nowadays. So many different education avenues that could take you to different places. You could live abroad. <clears throat> the world's a much smaller place and we're much more connected digitally than we ever were before. So people just have more options. So this, this creates a disconnect where <clears throat> it's really difficult for older generations to get in that mindset of this is today's issues. So it might seem pretty bleak. I feel like the generations are on this trajectory where they're just getting further and further apart. <clears throat> but there is there's a ray of hope in that because what the research suggests is that although we don't have this understand at the moment, what what all generations are trying to decide boils down to three main questions. <clears throat> and this is a, a question of who am I? Where do I belong? And what's my purpose? And that's, that's, like I said, not exclusive to younger generations. Although they have harder or more confusing decisions to make because there are more things available to them, fundamentally they're making the same um, decisions that everybody else has had to make. And not only do you make that once, you continue to reassess that throughout your life. Um, anybody who's maybe recently retired might be asking those questions afresh. And so, if, we, if we're all doing the same, the same journey and asking the same questions, then there's definitely hope that we can understand each other. So let's dig into those 
three questions a little bit further. So the first of those is who am I? That, that's a question of identity. So when somebody says, tell me about yourself, how do you identify yourself? What are the things that you put into that answer of who you are? Um, as discussed earlier, young people have far more options than, they, than any generation they've ever had. Uh, you might identify yourself as um, you know, by the career that you have or by the family that you belong to. Uh, and so if you don't have those things all nailed down and you're you know, 15 to 29 and somebody asks you who you are, you're still searching for them because you don't know who you're going to be, you don't know what job you're going to have or what family you're going to have. You still live with your parents, probably. So you're, you're almost identified as their child rather than your own independent self because you perhaps don't have the financial independence of previous generations. You probably don't own a home because it's it, people buy their first home later. They, I think the average age for moving out of your parents' house now is 28. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that, but there's economic reasons that that might not be possible for a lot of people. So where do you get yourself identity from? So, and luckily, the Bible's got an answer for that. Um, in, but way back in Genesis 1, uh, verse 27 says, <clears throat> So God created man in his own image, and in that image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this, this implies that you have an identity in relation to God. And that's not dependent on any material um, aspects that you might use to to describe yourself or use to identify yourself or other people might identify you with. Okay, so you have an inherent value because God created you and anything else that you attribute to yourself or others attribute to you are far secondary issues. Your identity is within God. God created you. And the second question is uh, where do I belong or where do I fit? Uh, and this is a question about acceptance. Who are my people? Who's, who, what are my groups, uh, who are my tribe, you might say. And Kay talked about this in last week's Encounter Service, about the conditions that people have in their lives now. Things are very um, contract-oriented. What, what do you have to do? What are your obligations? And she gave an example, even in a family setting, um, at the supermarket, a father and a child saying, um, but you promised me I could get that sweetie. And then the father replies, yeah, but you also promised you would behave yourself. And, and everything ha has a contract or conditions attached to it. Um, and that, that's not what draws people in. They, they need to feel that they belong somewhere just because they do. It's their home, it's their space, it's their people. Uh, and in, in Peter, on 1 Peter 2, in verses 9 and 10, we hear these words, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into the marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, have not, once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is Peter talking about that the, the, the promises of God were no longer for the, the nation of Israel. They were for all Christians without conditions. And so that's the sense of belonging that people are looking for, or at least this is what the research suggests. 
the, th the third question is about purpose. What's my purpose? What, what difference does it make when I do the things that I do? And if you don't have a purpose, there, there's a psychological thing where people, people want to have purpose. It's what drives them. And if you don't have anything, you will take on any cause because you, you need to have something. You need to do something. So you'll, you'll take up in, in good causes sometimes. You, um, you might be campaigning for environmental issues or um, some kind of equality, gender equality, race equality. And it's not that these are not important things, but if they don't have an overarching purpose, then ultimately they're empty. If, if there's nothing beyond this, if this is all we have is the years that we have on earth, then the good things that you do were just a random person at a random time during that tiny dot that we exist on the, the timeline of history. If there's nothing beyond that, then I think we call it nihilism. You know, what's the point? If it all just ends anyway, if we all just die and that's the, the last that she wrote, then, then what does it matter? But we get a sense of purpose, um, or we, we get a, a sense of the, the commissioning that God has for us. Um, in John 15, verse 16, it says, You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And so that's suggesting that we're, our purpose is to bear fruit for God, or for Jesus. Also it says in Matthew 28 verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this gives Christians an overarching purpose. You know, set within that context, any of the good deeds that you do, any of the good fruit that you bear for him, has value and purpose. So you can do things for the environment, you can do things for equalities and rights, you can stand up for the form, in fact you're commanded to, you're commissioned to do it. But if you don't have that commissioning, then anything that you do has no real purpose. It just ends when you stop doing it. So as we said earlier, what's interesting about these three questions of identity, belonging and purpose is that although we're looking at them in terms of a young person and how they may differ, they're questions everybody asks at some point in their life and will continue to ask when something happens to them. So if you have a major life event, you'll re-examine those questions. You might not consciously do it, but that, this is how your mind works. So if you were older, you might, you might have retired recently, or you might have, you remember retiring. The first time somebody asks you who you are, what do you do? You know that question? Uh, nice to meet you, what do you do? And your stock answer was probably, oh well, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, plumber, postman, what, whatever it was you did. That was part of your identity. But now you've retired one of those things. So who, who does that make you? you? You don't belong to that group anymore. You don't have any role to play in. There's no purpose for you. So perhaps if you're at retirement age, you might also have grandchildren. And so that's maybe what you, you moved your life onto. You say, well, well actually, now I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, the teacher or the doctor or the postman anymore. I'm, I'm the grandparent. 
And that's my purpose, is to, to, to look after the grandchildren, to teach them and to be there for them. And that gives me purpose. So it's a thing that we do throughout our lives, uh, at different stages. And, and that's interesting because if, if we're all doing it, and this is where the hope is, if we're all doing this, and fundamentally we're asking ourselves the same questions and having to reinvent ourselves and redefine these things, surely we can identify with other people and empathise with them. And as we described above, those questions we actually, in a Christian context, have answers for them that don't depend on the materialistic aspects of our lives. We have an identity of being created by God. We, we belong to uh, the, the Christian church and we belong to God as an adopted child. And we have a purpose and a commissioning to go out and bear fruit for him. So if we can do that, growing young have identified three really simple things that we can practically do to help us to reconnect all the generations. So the three really simple things that we can do. First is to journey with. So to journey with means to not to judge the situation that the person is in, but to be alongside them and do, do the life journey together. Okay, so the first thing is not to judge the situation, but to come alongside and journey with someone. So when we do that, there's a tendency, as I described earlier, of doing Job's friends role of, yeah, we come alongside them, but then we criticise them and we instruct them and tell them what they did wrong. If we don't understand the situation, don't try and solve it. And don't assume, don't manipulate the situation to be like your situation or how you did it. So what you have to do, so rather than changing the, their situation to reflect yours, you ask a simple question, and the question is, tell me more about that. So you've come alongside them, you're trying to understand the situation, and you say, tell me more about that. So their crisis or their whatever it is they're doing, it might be a good thing, it might be a bad thing, they've got a decision to make. And you don't know because you've never experienced that decision. You've never went backpacking around Australia, don't know why it's important, or you've never um, done a charity um, trip where, you know, building schools in Africa. Whatever it is that they feel they've got this decision, they've got a dilemma, they have to, they have to do something. If that's not something you've done before, you just say, tell me more about it. Tell me more about that exam. What happens if you pass? What happens if you fail? What's the next thing? Okay, so we come alongside, so we're journeying with, and we simply ask, tell us more. And lastly, the third really practical, easy thing that we can do is we invest the time. So we don't come alongside and ask, tell me more, and then we don't see them for ages. Okay, we follow up with that and say, oh, that exam, how did it go? What happens now? Tell me more about that. There's a real sense of abandon abandonment in society where people feel, especially people who should be looking after them or um, are older or senior to them in some ways, that everything's done for to meet an objective or a programme or, or they're obliged to do something. And when that doesn't get followed up, when that project's complete or that objective's achieved and they get left, there's a feeling of abandonment. 
So we need to invest our time long term. So we keep coming back to the person, we build that relationship and that becomes a solid thing that they can trust. That, and then who knows what we get from that. And we have great examples of that <clears throat> within our own congregation. I, I won't name names because people will get embarrassed. Um, but we do have people of, of all generations and some well over 80 who still know who they are, they still know where they belong, they still have that purpose and you can see them get alongside people, they can see them encourage, ask questions. They don't know about Peppa Pig either, but they ask, tell me more about that, why is that important to you, how can I help? You know? And if you can picture a Sunday morning uh, back before Covid, I'm sure you could remember, you can picture the people that I can picture. Um, so use them as a model, think of the people who do this. Think of the people who are a generation or two older, who come alongside, they ask the questions and they commit the time. Get that picture in your mind and use them as the model for how we're going to, how we're going to address this gap in the generations and how we empathise with young people today. So in conclusion, the research does show there's differences between the generations, what we value, the way we think, what's important to us. but. The research also shows that most of these things boil down to the three same questions. That question of identity, belonging and purpose. And that's things that we continue to ask ourselves throughout our lives. And they're all things that we can find answers to within the Bible, within the context of who we are in relation to God. And so if we can use that, use that experience and use the three simple techniques of journeying alongside, asking the question of, tell me more about that and spending time investing real time in people then we can really start to empathize with each other and we can start to address that issue of the gaps within our, within our congregations within the, the wider church congregations and really start to empathize with young people today